Just remain standing. If you have your Bibles, let's go back to Exodus chapter 37. Exodus 37, amen? God is good, amen? God is good all the time. And the old church used to say, and all the time he is, he is good, amen. Exodus chapter 37, it's verses one through nine. Here's what we're gonna do tonight. I'm not gonna read them because of the length of that, but I'm gonna reference it as we begin to teach. Would you stretch your hand this way? I want God to move in this house tonight. Joe Singleton, right where you're standing, would you ask God to give the body ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? You may be seated tonight. Our last lesson on the tabernacle. I'm gonna jump right in because we've been on this for at least a few months. If you look at the Ark of the Covenant, you see right now there are three things that God has intentionally put inside the Ark. You remember the phrase I've shared many times, one of my favorite in the New Testament. It talks about positionally being in Jesus Christ. Four books, as I told you Sunday morning, four books says Christ in us. But Ephesians says in Jesus Christ. Talking about positionally, that we are in him and he is in us. It's the beauty of salvation. Can somebody say amen? amen. So when God puts these three things in the ark, it's understanding that that is a foreshadowing of things to come. But to understand that you've always got to get this, that the presence in the tabernacle, the presence of God, <coughs> excuse me, the glory of God, the outward manifestation of God is tied to the ark in the Old Testament. People don't understand that. We don't want to agree with it. We don't like it. But God has set this there because understanding the fullness of time has not come for God to send his son. So in the Old Testament, his presence is tied to the ark. The ark is a type of, um, or a concept of covenant. This became the place for God's presence. This is the place where the mercy seat was and the chest that was inside the royal bo uh, border there. This is the place where two cherubims faced each other according to the book of Hebrews 9 and verse 5. There are 185 references of the ark in the Old Testament alone. What is it about this piece of furniture that ties God to it? What is it about this box that God chooses? And this is really deep to me. God chooses is to identify his self in the Old Testament with this Ark of the Covenant. Surely it's not by looks. Uh, it's gold-laden. It's made of special wood. But God in all his splendor, I don't believe, can be fit in any man-made box. Can somebody say amen? But there's something about this Ark. First of all, because it's always hid or covered behind the veil. 
So it could not be the looks of it because it's always hid. So the attraction could not be on the outside because you and I know the Old Testament, it was only the priest once a year that could go into this presence. So let's look deeper tonight. This ark that I speak of is also called the Ark of Testimony. It is the visible symbol of God's covenant. In Psalms 132 and 8, it's called the Ark of Strength. In Joshua 411, it's called the Ark of the Lord. But understand tonight, this ark, even though we may not understand the fullness of God's splendor, in the Old Testament, when you mention the Ark of the Covenant, the people of the Old Testament knew the power and the glory of God. If you look in Joshua 3 and 15 and 16, the Bible says that when the ark went forward, the rivers thereof dried up. I'm not talking about any old box. Are you listening? In Joshua chapter six, when the ark was carried around, the Bible said that the walls fell before its power. In 1 Samuel chapter five, verses one through five, when other gods opposed Jehovah God, they bowed down at the presence when the ark was there because it represented the presence of almighty God. Look at Uzzah in 2 Samuel chapter six, when the ark was being carried on an oxen cart, was a violation of the word of God. It was never intended to be carried on a man-made object. It was intended to be placed on the shoulder of the Levites. The Bible said that an oxen stumbled and when the oxen stumbled, the ark began to fall. And the Bible said Uzzah, thinking that he was doing a good thing but not a God thing, he reached up to prop up the ark of God. The Bible said that God struck him dead. It caused David to get mad and take the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom's house. And for three months, the ark stayed at Obed-Edom's house. David was mad, saying, I'm not going to put up with God anymore. But what happened to Obed-Edom's house? The Bible said that Obed-Edom was blessed and his household was blessed. Listen, that's symbolic to you and I tonight. I want everybody in my family to serve God. But if they don't want to serve God, me and Sister Nolan, we still going to serve God. God's been too good to me for me to quit on God now. I have everything I need. I lack for nothing. I wake up in the morning and know that my sins have been forgiven. I go down at night and I know that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If David don't want it, I'll take it at the Nolan household. Look to your neighbor and tell them to wake up tonight. After three months, I believe it's the time frame, David said, you know what? I can't take it anymore. I've got to go back, and they go back and get the ark. They take six steps and dance and shout, six more steps, dance and shout. Came back into the city of God. His wife saw him. She got mad, started mocking him, said, I can't believe you. Even the slave girls think nothing of you now. You know what David told her? He said, woman, I'm paraphrasing. This is the NLT, the Nolan translation. Are you listening tonight? Yes. And he said to her, woman, what you don't understand, you so out of touch, these slave girls, they're going to think better of me now because I've taken off my kingly robe and I laid it down. I took off everything. I realized you can't go with me because you don't understand while you are being raised in your daddy Saul's house. God set him up, but he forgot about God and started walking around talking about how good he was. But while he was doing that, I was on the backside of, I, I wish somebody listened to me tonight. I I was on the backside of a sheep field and when the lion
lion and the tiger came against me, the spirit of the Lord would come upon me and I would slay them with my bare hands. And so when God set your daddy down, God was raising me up. And I'm letting you know, I was without God. I was without the ark for three months. I will never, ever do that again. And then what does he say, saints? He says, if you got mad at my praise and if you got mad at my worship, honey bun, sweetie pie, good looking, let me tell you one more thing. You haven't seen anything yet. I'm still in revival mode. I, I guess I got to tone it back down. I'm sorry. Are you listening? He recognized that this ark was tied because God mandated his presence. He set up, and I don't have time to walk you through the whole tabernacle. We have about four months of that. You could go back, but at this time, it walks you to the presence of Almighty God. And listen to me. With Israel's personality, I want to be honest. If anything strikes me odd about the ark is the idolatry of the Israelites. Why will God set up this, this, this covenant, this ark? Because the people had a tendency to always worship the creation instead of the creator, right? So God must be up to something. First of all, let me tell you why. The ark is in two pieces. It has a chest and it has the mercy seat that sits down on top of it with two cherubims facing each other. We have the two poles on each side with the gold rings that sit on the shoulders of the Levites. Two pieces that come together that make one whole. Two pieces of furniture. Two things equaling one Two stories, two covenants. Are you listening? One by themselves is not enough. But when you put them together, you get completeness. One Old Testament, one New Testament. Are you listening? And when they come together, then the mercy seat represents the place where the blood was applied and where Jesus can sit down. When it comes together, it represents the old covenant fulfillment. The two represent together one revelation of God fulfilled in two different books. I know 66 books, I'm talking about of the covenants. The old was made for the new, and the new was the answer to the old. The ark is the picture of the word of God in the Old Testament. Every where it went into the river Jordan and it would stand up, why? Because the word was so powerful. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the fulfillment personified of God's divine revelation. The ark is the picture of the splendor, the wonder, and the power of God's word. It is God's word moving in the Old Testament against waters, walls, and heathen gods. It is not an idol. It is the the place where God's presence rise and where angels stand up in a tent and point back to Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God. 
Do you get the picture tonight? This ark is alive and moving because it represents the word. Romans 3, 24 and 25 said it this way. Being justified freely by his grace through redemption, that is Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because he is the forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. That word propitiation means mercy seat. Jesus is our mercy seat. He is our covering. He is our ark. When they make their way to the holy of place, the holy of holies. It is a represent, representation one day of when a lady who was caught in the act of adultery. Brother Nolan, only a priest that was clean. Oh, you're right. In the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we have one high priest. And now we can come boldly to the throne of grace, wherefore we might be able to obtain mercy. Come on, give God the biggest hand of praise tonight. Where there is the ark, there is victory. And where there is Jesus, there is victory. The ark is the place where God sat down. Read Psalms 91, the secret place. But tonight, I want to go deeper. I want to give you what's inside. Because if I don't start now, I'll be back here teaching this again next week. There are three things inside the ark. We have the law, 10 commandments, we have manna and we have Aaron's rod. Of all the things that God could have put there, the rod reflects the Father's sovereignty. The tablets speak of revelation truth or truth that is revelation. And manna, which is my favorite right here, it speaks to the fact that in this ark, in Jesus, positionally, we are in Jesus. Christ in us. Bo, it speaks to us that God will always supply our needs as we stay in the presence of the Lord. The Bible said that some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we shall trust in the name of the Lord our God. Simply saying, God has never failed us. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Are you ready for this tonight? These three speak to us and dare us to choose God. They ask us and beg us to surrender fully to all that he is. First tonight, let's look at the tablets. Look to your neighbor and say tablets tonight. They represent God's demand for righteousness. Revealed in law. That also lives inside of Jesus Christ. Tony, the tablets speak of one thing. It speaks of relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with man. The tablets scream to us that in God there is healthy relationships. Watch this. Four out of the Ten Commandments speak of a vertical relationship. Six of the ten speak of a horizontal relationship. Here's why. When we get the four right, we'll get the six right. If you get the first one right, you're off to a good chance to get most of them right after that. Because if God can get your heart, he'll get the rest of you. Come on, somebody. 
Four speak of vertical, six horizontal. The first commandment speaks of worship. It is the ultimate value issue. All other commandments flow from this one because it represents the heart of a man. It asks us, am I fully in love with God? If I am fully in love with God, then I will live differently because I am in love of God. Hello? Let me break it down into an old, old school uh, Oconee County uh, vocabulary. If you're saved, you'll live like it. I didn't say perfection. I, if I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. But if I'm saved, I should have some resemblance of being saved tonight. He's saying to us that if we are fully in love with God, that it's relational, it's not distant, it's not abstract, it's not foreign. I don't understand people who go to church and they have no relationship with God, but they're religious. I have friends from my past that go to church. I don't understand their worship and they surely don't understand my worship. Why do you cry? Why do you pray? Why do you pray? To, I, are, are we not serving the same God? Oh yes, but I'll just go, I'll do a few things, I'll make a few signs, I'll, I'll do this, I have to go on Christmas, I have to go to Mass, i go on Easter, if I go twice a year, then it's okay, I've been sealed, I was sealed when I was three. Yeah, are you with me? If I die, my family's rich, they will pay off the priest, the priest will lay that money on the altar, it will buy me out of purgatory or so on and so on and so on. Listen, I don't understand that. The God that I serve, my Bible teaches me that he was going through everything that I will face and he understands my burdens, he understands my feelings, he understands my struggles. My God is not an abstract God tonight. Now, I know we're Pentecostal people, which makes us a little more hyper-emotional, but can I be honest with you? I'm an apologetic for emotions. I go to the ball game, I see people crying, I see people cheering, and nobody thinks it's crazy. Oh, but let us not do that in church. The same people that paint their chest orange, put a tiger paw on their face, roar, 45 years of age, and roaring like a tiger. Rawr! Got Gamecock fans like Chafin walking around with a rooster on top of their head. And then somebody's gonna look at me because I start crying because I have a relational covenant with Jesus Christ. And when I come into his presence, it reminds me that not only I'm saved, but I've been sanctified by the word. The Holy Ghost lives inside of me and you want me to sit back and be idle and Hold it down and, and I can't tell nobody about it. I can't even put a cross anymore. The HOA in the neighborhood might get mad because out there I got a flag that has a cross hanging up. So we got to tone this thing down. Listen, if we tone church down anymore, it's going to be a funeral home. Y'all quiet tonight. I just don't understand you Christians. Oh, I'm a Christian too. I just don't have to go to church. I don't understand that. I must not see it like you do. Oh, bless your little heart. No, you're just not real. You had not been through a storm that yet that you're gonna have to back that little truck up and declare, God, if you don't come, I'm gonna fall flat on my face. 
This first thing inside the R, it represents to us that God is a relational God and he wants a relationship with you and I. No more abstract, no more foreshadowing. Jesus didn't come to put somebody between us and him. He is our high priest. You said, Pastor, I messed up this morning. I did something. I saw something. I said something. I need to tell you, listen, you're going to have to get to me. You may not can get to me. You understand, but you can go to your prayer closet and you can plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm a, I'm a, mm. I was in a service the other week and they were telling me that I was going to have to do all these type religious things to get in the presence of Almighty God. I leaned over to, it was actually Scotty, and I told him, I said, Scotty, I don't know if I'm old school or new school, but I don't understand all this new preaching anymore. I said, the church that I came out of, I didn't have to do anything but plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm about to take off running, my goodness. He looked at me, he said, we're paying a lot of people to preach some things. He said, why don't they just preach the word? Listen to me tonight. This is a relational God inside the heart, inside Christ is these laws, this testimony, these standards that allow us to keep a right relationship that it doesn't violate God. And if it doesn't violate God, it will not violate man. Secondly, let's look at the rod tonight. It represents God's anointed leadership. His representative of authority that most perfectly demonstrates Jesus Christ. How many of you remember the story of Aaron's rod that budded? Anybody? Miss B Sister Billy's got it. I'm going to tell you why she has it because her name is Billy. Now don't laugh at her because my mama's name is Billy. Aaron's rod, he find in number 17. They were groaning against Moses and they take a rod from every tribe, the 12. Aaron's rod represented his tribe and they lay it out there and they come back overnight and the rod that budded would be the one that Moses would hold up. What it represents, this rod, this dead thing, it represents a type of authority that produces life. Hmm. Oh. The rod is a symbol of divine authority. Aaron's rod, not Moses. Why? Even though Moses was the one that led them out, Aaron's represented the priesthood. It is a priestly rod that represents the mission of ministry, especially the ministry of reconciliation, Galatians 6 and 1. That's what a priest is. He is a bridge builder where men can go from sin to holiness. Are you listening? Aaron's rod budded. It was laid before the 12 in the most holy place. The rod without roots or life was brought forth with buds and life. It blossomed and it bore fruit. Therefore, this rod represents Christ-like authority that produces life. Not only life, but life that brings forth fruit. What does that mean to you and I? When we are in Jesus Christ, he takes the dead things. And when we get in his presence, are you listening? You and I were once dead in our trespasses and sins. But now, one New Testament, King James word, Brother Perry, says we have been quickened. 
We have been quickened. We have been breathed upon. We have been enlightened. We have new life. And look at you now. You have not only eternal life, you have a good life that is bearing what? What is the rod bearing? Life bears fruit. See, when you're in Jesus Christ, you don't cuss out the waiter anymore because your bread is burnt. Come on now. Y'all quiet now. Oh, I know you did back when you were drinking and you were 18 and you were partying. I give you a free pass there because you didn't know Jesus Christ. But now that you have been made alive, oh, no, 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 no. If you're going to do it, at least take off the North Mahala sticker off your car. Put the Presbyterian sticker on there or somebody. You know, I'm joking with our Presbyterian brothers. You know that. But it means that now you are giving life to, or I should say, you are blooming, birthing fruit because you have been made alive. In his presence where he sits, there is the fullness of joy and pleasures and treasures forevermore. We are alive tonight because he is in us and we are in him and we're bearing and birthing fruit, the fruit of the spirit, joy, temperance, long-suffering, love, meekness. Are you listening? These are the things that you are have all around you because you have life. Brother Nolan, I'm not seeing these things. I, I, listen, listen, we all have disagreements with our spouses. There are times that we disagree with our bosses. There are times that we disagree with our pastors. There's times in church, but if you're constantly having chaos and confusion, and if you're always with an argument with everybody, can I let you know? It's probably you. I, I, you know I'm not talking to anybody here. I'm, I'm talking to those that stayed home. You know that. <laughs> because you're in Jesus. Let me test you. When's the last time you went to somebody and you said, it was my fault? I'm sorry. Bo, the greatest sign of Aiden's maturity is when he comes to me and I say, Aiden, who hit my truck? He's growing with the help of God and my belt, he is growing well. But Pastor God, when he told me one time a couple years ago, Dad, Dad I, I, you sure that's a baseball? Knowing that he hit my truck. Recently, him and Isaac were playing. Ball hits the truck and I got a dent, Tony, right on the hood, right on the corner. Can't fix it. I then took it to Marshall's, kind of take the hood off and repaint the whole thing. I said, son, who hit my truck? I did, Daddy. Now, I, I'm not going to tell you, I still wasn't mad at him. But inside, I thought, he's growing. Whew, I feel the Holy Ghost. Mm. See, growth is what God expects of us. We are growing in him. If Aiden is still giving lies and having temper tantrums at 21 like he did at nine, something's wrong. You're 44 years of age, 45, and you're still fighting the same thing you did at 25. Come on now. Early on in, my, in dating Jessica, 
I was probably a lot more, don't you tell her this, I was probably a lot more selfish than I am now. Because I've grown in our relationship. Amen? Amen. Same way with God. You shouldn't have to come to church and get mad because something didn't go your way. God, you didn't do this. God, you didn't do that. God, you didn't do this. God, you didn't do that. If that is still your communication with God, you're very, very elementary in your worship. I feel him tonight. Amen? My worship's changed. They say, God, I'm going through a struggle. I don't like it and I don't understand it, but I know you're still God. So somehow, some way, you're gonna work it out because I know you are for me and not against me. Lastly, and I close. There's manna, look at the manna, the pot of manna here. Manna simply means, you know this, what does manna mean? It was, simplest form, it means what is it? Came down, they looked at it, and Pastor Smith, they said, what is it? Hello, have you ever gone to a restaurant and you ordered a steak and it looked like a, a cheeseburger? And you say, what is it? I heard one preacher say one time, God made it in such a way that they couldn't define it. That way somebody would say, ooh, this macaroni is good. And somebody would say, you talking about macaroni? This is peach cobbler right here. What are you talking about? But nevertheless, it sustained them while they were in the wilderness. It is to remind us that in Jesus, there is sweet, perfect provision. Are you listening? It means it's more than bread. It's more than a portion to the Chaldeans. Israel hated it at first, and I heard one theologian said they called it angels' food later on. Manna simply represents it is a covenant that God has promised everyone here tonight that he shall supply all our need according to his riches in glory. Come on, give him praise in the house. It always satisfied. And it always was enough. When you're in Christ and you make your way into his presence, Sister Carolyn, when I first met you, you and I had conversations about raising money to pay the lights of this church, did we not? When my friend invited me to preach the first time, you know Carolyn's always been faithful. She's faithful. She doesn't say much. She's faithful. She loves this church. But you may remember this, Sean. Early on in this church, when Brother Hager first came, it wasn't about the parking lot that we're voting on very in July, the church is. It wasn't about building parking lots and moving that off and donate land. It was about, we just need so many people to give $35 a month to pay the bills. You remember that? But somehow, some way, when I went to Camden, the clerk told me, you know what he told me? He became one of my best friends. His name is Charles Peebles. I actually have cows on his farm right now. Best, I'm the best farmer in the world. I have cows on his farm. He feeds them. I give him a little bit of money. He washes them. He takes care of them. And when they have calves, we take them to the sale and I get a check. I am a great farmer. Do you know that? 
He told me he's one of my best friends. I saw him Monday. And we laugh at this now. He was a clerk of the church. I went and preached in Camden. They voted on me. I got a great vote, or good vote, I should say. I got, and he looked at me later on. He said, Pastor, can I confide in you? I said, sure. He said, I didn't vote for you. I said, Wait, why, why did you tell me that now? And he said, can I tell you why? He said, I voted for a bivocational preacher because I felt like that preacher that was driving a truck could help us. Because to be honest with you, we couldn't pay our bills. And I didn't know how we could pay you and your family. He said, I didn't want you to come this place because I didn't think you could get a paycheck. I've only pastored three churches in 20 years of ministry. Second church I went to, the day I showed up, they had $463 in the bank and they owed more people than you could shake a stick at. The clerk told me, he said, I've got to tell you some things. I've told you this before. He put my check in my hand. I go to cash the check. The banker looks at me and says, unless you bring us a deposit, we cannot cash this check. I knew right then I was in trouble. Hello? My clerk in Canada told me, he said, that's the reason I didn't vote for you. You know what I told him? I said, we don't need an offering. We don't need a big time donor. What we need is to get this church back in the presence of God. Because if they will get back in God's presence, they will remember where God's brought them from. They will tell others of what God has done in their life. And when those others come in and get saved and begin to disciple, they will tithe and give to ministry. And then they will go tell others and so on and so on and so on. When I left that church, they had money in the bank and still sending out missionaries. In Columbia right now, Pastor Toby Jones, they have money in the bank there. They're still sending out missionaries. It's not about a man's formula of provision. You can listen to me as I close. We can be like the widow at Zarephath. Sister Charlene, what we can do, we can tell the man of God, listen, I've only, Rusty, I've only got a little bit of oil left. And me and my son, we're going to make a cake. I'm going to eat this cake. And what she say? We're going to die. She was at the last of the last. I'm not taking up an offering. I'm not out of your money. I'm just trying to remind somebody something tonight. That widow said, I'm going to make this cake. I'm going to burn this oil and then I am going to die. The man of God looked at her and said, if you'll make me one, you will never, ever run out. She never, ever ran out. Why? Because God is not a man that he should lie. He will supply all our needs. What did he say? I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Stand with me tonight, please, all over the house. Kathy, the money's gonna come in. I feel that. I feel the Holy Ghost. When we're trying to get to Ecuador to tell kids about Jesus, the money is gonna come in. Let me tell you what I did last week. Don't get mad at me because I'm, I'm inside my means of spending. Dot, your, your favorite preacher, I'm your second favorite preacher, right? Scotty had a need in ministry where kids couldn't get to camp. Needed $900. So we wrote him a check for $900. Not broadcasting on Facebook. We're not trying to put it out there for people to look at Neil Nolan and North Walhalla. Nobody needs to know but us. Why do we do that? Because nine kids need to go to camp. And they were told. 
This way. I'm not talking about our kids. We pay for our kids. If there's a need in our church, in, our, in Oconee County, we pay for that. If you've got a child or grandchild, you need assistance, you meet me, you text me, nobody won't know but the office, we'll cut a check, we'll send them. Some people can only pay so much, they pay so much, we send them to camp. This was outside our church. Because I'm gonna tell you why. Because when we sow in the kingdom of God, it's that picture right there. In Jesus, there is a bucket full. I know that's a country word. That's a bucket is what you have at the end of the road when you put tomatoes in a bucket. But at the end of the road, there's a bucket full of endless supply. And before I close tonight, I've come to remind somebody. I come to remind an older couple who's struggling to pay for your medicine. As your pastor, I want to remind you that God is faithful. I feel that tonight. Joe, I feel it. You say, Pastor, I've been faithful. Me and my wife, we, we struggle just to buy medicine. God's going to show up on your behalf. And you have a church family that will fight for you. He will supply. Amen? Let me do this in closing. If you feel comfortable, will you grab the person's hand beside of you, please? We have two ladies right here. And everybody help hold somebody's hand that can. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. I want you to pray for that person. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's, they need the fruit of the Spirit. Or just maybe they need to be reminded that God shall supply. I didn't say he'd give you everything you want. Nikki, Jess wants to have one of them new Tahoes. Brother Nolan ain't buying her a new Tahoe. That Honda Pilot's getting her around just fine. Hello? I didn't say God's going to give you everything that you want. I didn't say God's going to give you caviar at night. I didn't say that. I said he's going to supply everything that you need. Father, tonight, oh, Holy Ghost, uh, we pray for each other. You're going to provide. You're going to provide. You're going to provide. Come on, worship with me. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. You're going to provide for North Walhalla. God, I don't build buildings. You build buildings. I don't build parking lots. You build parking lots. I can't do it. It's not in me, but in you all things are possible. God, you're going to provide. You're going to provide. You're going to provide for that couple tonight. For our seniors in here that need provision, you're going to provide. For that one that needs healing, you're going to provide. You're going to provide. You're going to provide. In Jesus. In Jesus. Come on, sing it, brother. Come on, sing just a little bit. Sing a little bit. Come on, linger with me two more minutes. Two more minutes tonight. Come on, pray, pray, pray. God, touch our missionaries. They're working. They're not asking God for everything to come easy. They're working. But God, I know you're able tonight. God, there's a kid that needs to go to camp. Send them our way. We'll send them. You will provide. You will provide. God, we're about to put a parking lot in. 
God, you will provide. You will provide. Kevin, I want us to pray for Camden. Lord, would you help me do this? Listen to me. The Lakeshore Drive Church of God needs a new air conditioner. God, tonight, I pray right now. God, Lord, for that church. And if it's North Walhalla that does it, so be it. God, as they give us a, a price, they can't worship in 90 degree weather in the summer. God, I pray right now, God, God, make a way. Open the door. Make a way. Make a way tonight, God. You're able, you're able, you're able. That scripture's flooding my mind. If we see a brother in need and we shut up the bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in us? My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Can somebody say amen? All right. Put your hands together and give God the biggest hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Brother, Sister Smith, if you would go to the front door, please. Greet these great people. Let me update you on one more thing. We're missing Laura and Justin. I just got a text. I wish I could put it up. We will have it on Sunday. It will be in the bulletin. Also on the screen, baby Raylan and mom are doing great. It's not up here now, but it will be Sunday morning. I just got the picture in. So pray for Justin and Laura. Text them. Let them know that we miss them, miss her singing, miss him playing. But we have a brand new baby in the church. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. I know there's some family that's excited about that new baby. Amen. I think the baby looks like the mama side of the family. Y'all can tell him I said that too. It don't bother me none. Amen. I love you. Sunday morning, let's be ready to have church. Invite somebody. Would you do that? Would you purpose in your heart to bring one new person, one new family? Sunday morning, amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. Go with your people. Protect us and cover us. Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hug each other's neck. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning.